and New York's and the rest of America's mood grew more joyous as a result. The twenties had just begun to roar. Earlier in the year, the sporting news called it a fast age, and we're doing time and jazz, not goose step. And French psychologist Emile Quay had recently introduced an affirmation that was sweeping the United States. Every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. It appealed to a nation that fairly leapt out of bed each morning, eager to attack the day. New York City, as ever, was at the forefront of that attack, setting the tempo for the rest of the country. Prohibition was the law of the land, but it was merely a fanciful notion in New York. The saloons, speakeasies, and corner delis were full of drinkers of both sexes, a new and welcome development. The capital of fashion, media, shipping, and entertainment, New York was emerging as the foremost city in the world, especially with Europe still prostrate from the previous decade's destruction. The center of New York power, then as now, remained downtown in the financial district. But uptown had the Giants, for the past two decades the nation's most potent sporting brand. These two critical elements of New York's cultural engine, sports and money, were merging rapidly. The ad salesmen at the big newspapers had taken it as gospel that baseball fans, an unserious rabble with little taste in their eyes, didn't constitute the buying public, but that changed in the 20s. Literary Digest noticed the new climate. We have no hesitation in declaring that if an accurate poll were taken of the attendance at any big league ball game. The ratio would be around 80% of business officials, office employees, and men of leisure to 20% of the actual laboring class. A little relaxation at the ballpark was expected after a day spent frantically selling or dealing in the rarefied air of high finance. Stock and real estate speculation was the big thing on Wall Street, and the deal-making continued in the polo grounds grandstand. As one player said, I'd go to the ballpark and get stock tips from turnstile men and boot blacks and peanut butchers and newspaper men. Everybody was going to be a millionaire. It was a little confusing. The Giants started home games at 3.30 p.m. in order to better allow the money men to travel north after a day of wheeling and dealing to watch McGraw and his team dominate the National League. But today's contest was starting earlier, at 2 p.m., and it most certainly wasn't a home game for the Giants. As McGraw turned toward the water on the 155th Street Viaduct, passing over the Harlem River Speedway, built for horse and carriage, but now crammed with automobiles, the enemy's fortress came into view. McGraw scowled. The building in front of him, just across the river in the Bronx, would be the scene of today's game and the cause of much of the manager's agita the brand-new Yankee Stadium. Despite its proximity to Manhattan, the Bronx definitely had an outer borough feel to it, expressed neatly in a headline in that morning's Daily News, Bronx landlords count dogs as added tenants. Under ordinary circumstances, a sneering McGraw would have paid as much attention to a Bronx baseball park and its American League occupants, the Yankees, as he would to something stuck to the bottom of his shoe. But this was no ordinary time. 
thanks to the deep pockets of the men who had bought the team in a deal brokered by McGraw himself. The Yankees had emerged as dangerous rivals to the Giants for the hearts and minds of New York baseball fans. And thanks to the team's superstar, to McGraw, a mighty ape with intellect to match, the Yankees had not only challenged the Giants on the field, but outstripped them at their own gate. Since 1912, the two teams had shared the polo grounds, with the Yankees as tenant and the Giants as landlord. So this development hit the Giants and McGraw, who owned roughly a quarter of the team, right in the wallet. But it was a situation McGraw and Giants majority owner Charles Stoneham had thought they could rectify by evicting the Yankees. They did. Kicking the Yanks out of the polo grounds and essentially forcing them, daring them, to build a home of their own. So the bickering Yankees owners, Jacob Rupert and Till Cap Houston, responded by...